You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. my joy to bring us to uh, the second part of our series, Journeying Through Ephesians. This is Kingdom Living. Martin kicked off the season, the season, kicked off the, the, let's start that sentence again, kicked off the series last Sunday by uh, explaining a little bit, gave us a bit of background about the book of Ephesians, not a letter written to a specific church at a specific time about specific issues, but more of a circular letter sent to the churches in and around Ephesus, what we would understand to be Western Turkey today. And then he took us through Ephesians chapter one, explaining as Paul was showing the Ephesians that God cares for us. And really, we're just carrying on with this first section, chapter two today, but chapters one and two, both really laying a foundation for kingdom living. So today we come to chapter two, and uh, I'm going to welcome Andrew Spaben. He's going to come and read the chapter for us this morning. Why not give him a round of applause as he comes to the platform? Thank you. Morning, church. Uh, Reading from Ephesians chapter two. As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of those, all of us also lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the craving of our flesh and the following that its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we went by nature deserve, deserving of wrath. But because of God, because of his great love of, for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressing, expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember those that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at one time, You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away from have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one one, and has destroyed the, the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Andrew. Let me just hand that down there. Wow. Well, I don't know if you took that all in. <laughs> I, would, uh, I would expect that maybe we didn't. There is so much packed into this chapter. And don't worry, we are going to finish at a quarter to 11, so we're not going to fully understand or unpack all of it this morning. This is so rich, full of doctrine, full of theology, full of keys to our faith, full of foundations for this kingdom living. And you've probably noticed this chapter is quite dramatic in what Paul covers if you like, he goes through the lows to the highs, the valleys and the peaks, the valleys of the depths that we have come from and the peaks of what God is positioning us into and enabling us to do the heights, if you like, of kingdom living. And where Paul begins these verses today, it can seem a bit stark. It can seem a bit strong, the depth of the valley that he takes us to. But if we're gonna understand the height of the peaks that God is opening up to us, then we really have to grasp something of the depth of the valleys of where we began. You know when you go somewhere mountainous or you see pictures of somewhere mountainous, Wales or the Lake District or Switzerland who know how to do proper mountains, you see a contrast of valleys filled with lakes and high, majestic, towering peaks. And it's side by side they create these dramatic landscapes, incredible views and vistas. Paul is really, in some ways, in this chapter, wanting us to take in the full majesty of the landscape of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, the valley of where he has brought us from. And that's where he begins, a deep, deep valley that you and I were in. That's where Paul begins here in this chapter. As for you, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sin. That's a pretty strong start for this morning. As for you, you were dead in your sin. He said, all of us also lived among them, those who were disobedient, at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul has not gone for the gentle approach here. That's not where we're starting this morning. We're starting right there with where we were, dead in our sin, seeking simply to satisfy our own flesh. We were by nature deserving of wrath. The New English Bible says it like this, we lay under the dreadful judgment of God. You see, the truth is that for all of us, we were made by God. We were given life by him and yet chose to reject him, to rebel against his rule in our lives. And although it can seem harsh to think that we were dead or deserving of death, we don't like to think like that, the truth is quite simple, that if you remove yourself from the source of life, then death will follow. Maybe not immediately, it may take some time, but if you remove yourself from the source of life, death will follow. And that's where we all were. Paul makes it really clear, it's not some of us, 
It's not just the worst of us, but all of us. All of us also lived among them at one time. It's where we all were. We all went our own way. We all rebelled against God. We all followed the desires of our own bodies and minds, craving, gratifying the cravings of our own flesh. So all of us at one time, Paul says, deserved the wrath of God. Now the appetites of our flesh are not bad in and of themselves. Desires for food, sleep, sex, not bad things. But we were not made to be driven by a desire for them. We live in a society that encourages immediate gratification of any desire of our flesh. And if we live like that, we end up at the mercy of those things controlled by them, driven by them, and led by them, instead of being led by God, our maker, leading us in the way that he made us to live. Paul says all of us lived there at one time. I don't know if you can remember ever having followed a craving or a desire of your flesh and then immediately regretting it, knowing that only judgment can follow. I have quite a distinct memory of being a 15-year-old and something going on in my household where I can relate to this idea. It was my sister's 18th birthday and my mom was planning a dinner party. The invites had gone out, she was cooking a selection of dishes and indeed an array of desserts. It was a busy, busy week. One of the desserts uh, was a meringue-based dessert. It had a number of component parts that had to be made and then all put together. So the parts had been made, they were on a baking tray on the kitchen shelf. She was doing a good job, she was working very hard. Now there's an area in which I've been known to lack some self-control and it's that of seeing things and needing to touch them. Needing just to know how things feel. You see, I'm quite a kinesthetic person. It's not always enough to see it. I need to feel it. I know some of you will understand that. Some of you will just think that's weird, but that's okay. (laughs) Together, we are the body. So the meringue looked great, But I couldn't help but wonder what it felt like. What would it feel like? And suddenly I was overcome by a desire to touch the meringue. What would it feel like? And in the absence of self-control or wisdom or a responsible adult, I did just that. Just a gentle touch, just to see what it felt like. Gentle touch. Followed by a quiet but devastating crack and an almost immediately sick feeling of regret in my stomach. But you knew I should just have controlled myself and not done it. There was a momentary inner conflict. Should I tell my mum? Should I pretend I knew nothing about it? I've always been fairly poor at telling lies, so I knew I had to tell her. And amazingly, she was extremely gracious. She got on, she remade the dessert. In amongst everything else she was doing, remade it. So a day later, the replacement meringue was there on the baking tray on the side. It looked great. I saw it. And immediately something happened in me. I thought, I wonder what it feels like. (laughs) Now I want to, I would really like to be able to tell you at this point that I'd learned, that I'd gained wisdom. I'd grown in self-control through what had happened in the previous 24 hours. But sadly, that wasn't the case. 
and the desire of my flesh overcame me again. The need to touch was still very much in charge, so I reached out my hand just to touch it gently. I reached out, as before, a gentle touch. And as before, it was followed by a quiet but devastating crack and a sickening feeling in my stomach of, oh no, why did I not control myself? Why did I follow through on this? How do you tell your mother that you've broken it again? How do you explain that level of stupidity that you can't even understand yourself? But that is what the cravings of the flesh sometimes lead us into. Situations that we never meant to be in, that when we step back from, we think, what? What was I doing? What was I thinking? Because the desires of our flesh can sometimes drive us into situations where we don't think of the potential consequences. We don't think of the impact on anyone else. And they can lead us to a place where we deserve judgment. Certainly, as I went to speak to my mother, I knew I deserved judgment. I knew it would be reasonable to face wrath. In fact, my mother was amazingly gracious a second time. But it's just a trivial picture, a trivial example of how our desires lead us into situations which can bring consequence. You see, we don't like to talk about God's wrath and we often misunderstand it because God isn't mad at us. Our only understanding for, really, for wrath is really people being cross at us, but God isn't mad at us. He doesn't get cross in the way we do with those who offend us or disrespect us or repeatedly spoil what we're trying to do. God's wrath is not rage. God's wrath is something very different. God's wrath is his personal, righteous, constant hostility towards all that is evil. His settled refusal to compromise with it and his resolve to condemn it. Those are John Stott's words, not my own. It's his personal, righteous, constant hostility to evil. His settled refusal to compromise with it and his resolve to condemn it. You see, God is morally constant. He does not change. Same yesterday, today, and forever. He always reacts to evil in the same unchanging, predictable way. But when we wander, when we rebel, when we choose bad instead of good, we trespass into places where we deserve God's judgment. And that's the valley where we all found ourselves. We'd all rebelled at some level with God's rule, chosen our own way instead of his. And we were in a valley with no hope of getting out, on the run, if you like, from God's kingdom, rebels to his rule, and all we deserved from him was to be judged. But then we come to verse four. And verse four begins, but God. Well, in the RSV, it begins, but God. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, but God. We were lost, we were in a valley, we had no hope, but God. Are you grateful this morning that there's a but God? For every circumstance there is a but God. And this isn't in the text this morning, but you know if God has brought us out of the deepest valley, of the valley we could never get ourselves out of, that there was no hope for, then for every single valley after that that we might face, there is a but God this morning. 
You might just be waiting for your but God moment. And let me just encourage you that in every situation there is a but God. Whatever it looks like, whatever looks hopeless, whatever it looks like, there is no way. There can always be a but God moment. For if he's found us from that place and managed to bring us out, he can find us in any place and bring us out. Verse four, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He's rescued us from this deepest valley. It was undeserving, but Jesus Christ came and he took our place. Our sin and our rebellion was judged in Jesus Christ. The wrath that is talked of was atoned for, born by another in our place. And he brought us into his kingdom, not to judge us, but to rescue us. Into a place where Jesus Christ is Lord and King. And Paul is writing to these believers and encourages us this morning that these are some of the foundations of kingdom living that we are called to. We are no longer outlaws in God's kingdom, but citizens of the kingdom. And there's four simple aspects that I'm gonna bring out this morning. There are many more we could have brought out of this chapter, but I'm gonna bring out four this morning of, of what Paul is showing the Ephesians of the foundations of kingdom living. So first of all, kingdom living starts in a seat we don't deserve. Kingdom living starts in a seat we don't deserve. You see, we were by nature deserving of wrath, stuck in this valley as good as dead, rejected God, but he lifts us out and puts us somewhere different. And it says in these verses that he seated us with Christ in heavenly realms. He seated us next to himself. He seated us with himself on the throne. What an incredible thought. Have you ever thought that in a, in a court where someone is found guilty that the judge would suddenly say to the defendant, hey son, why don't you just come up from there and sit yourself here with me? Never, it would never happen. What we've been given is amazing grace. But this is what Paul is saying God has done. Kingdom living starts with us being given a seat that we don't deserve and could never have hoped to attain to ourselves. I remember studying this as a student a long, long time ago and being asked to put some of these verses into my own language and saying the only way I could understand it was that God has invited us onto his family bench. If you like, there's a seat for God to sit on for his family and he invites us to have a place there, has put our name on it that we would share it with him. We've been adopted, as we heard last week, seated with Christ in a place no one would ever expect to find you or me. You may have seen on the news uh, just over a week ago, the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had taken his son to work. I think we've got a, a photo here. This is the three-year-old Hadrian Trudeau at the Prime Minister of Canada's desk doing some work. He's been given a seat uh, that isn't really his. It, he doesn't deserve it. He's got no right to be there except that. The one whose seat it is has invited him to sit there. He's just been invited. 
In fact, he doesn't even always know how to behave there. If you look at the next photo, he's there in a press conference standing on the chair. This is not protocol with the Prime Minister. This is not how it's meant to roll. But yet, the little boy has been welcomed to sit with the Prime Minister because he is his father. He's been invited into a seat that he doesn't deserve. It's a picture of what we've been given. Invited to sit in a seat that we don't deserve, not because we've merited, not because we've deserved it, but because a father has said, I want you with me in the place where I am. In Christ, we've been given a seat that we don't deserve. We shouldn't even be in the same building by rights. But as we receive life in Christ, we're invited to be seated with him in heavenly realms. The truth is when we come to Christ, we give our life to him. Our life is therefore then found in Christ. How could it be anywhere other than where Christ is? That if Christ is seated at the throne, at the right hand of God, then surely we will also be found there, our lives hidden in him. We could never merit it. We could never earn it. We could never win it. We might somehow think we might possibly earn something from God, but we could never earn that. Never earn a place on his throne with him. We've been given something of such magnitude, it could only ever be a gift of grace. And the first foundation here for kingdom living is to take up the seat you have been given, to receive the undeserved kindness of your Father, to accept Christ's sacrifice in your place. You know, when we give our lives to Christ, then our lives are hidden in him. They're seated on the throne with him. How do we enter into this? How do we take hold of it? How do we receive this kingdom living? Well, that brings me to the second point this morning, which kingdom living is accessed by faith. Paul talks about this. Kingdom living is accessed by faith. Paul, some very famous words really in this chapter this morning. Maybe they're familiar to you. Verses eight and nine here, they cut right into the heart of what God has done for us. He says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not by works that no one can boast. He says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. How do we enter in? How do we take hold of this kingdom living? We certainly can't earn it. We can't merit it. We can't become suddenly worthy of being in God's family. But Paul reminds the believers, he reminds us this morning, it's by grace. By grace. You can't make yourself good enough. You can't make yourself deserving. It's by grace. Grace is the unmerited favor and kindness of God. Undeserved. You may be familiar with the acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. A benefit that comes to us that's been paid for by another. It can be so hard for us to grasp grace because it's so alien in our world. Unknown in our culture. You know, in our society, everything has a price. Everything must be paid back in some way. Even among our friends, if we show kindness to one another, normally someone will say, I owe you one. That isn't grace. That's payment for everything in some way. But grace is God's riches 
at Christ's expense. God provides for us by grace without debt, without payback. He's made his divine resource, everything that is in him, available to you and to me first to save us, but then for us to draw on his resource. Whenever we come across the shortfall of our fallen humanity in our broken world, he says it is by grace you have been saved. But it's not just by grace. He says it's by grace through faith. You see, grace doesn't mean that we don't have an active part to play. Just because we can't pay for it or earn it, we still have an active part to play. And the way that we lay hold of this life, this salvation, it is by faith, saved by grace through faith. We enter in when we believe, when we trust what's been said, when we act upon it. You know, faith is always active. Faith will change what we do. It will change what we see. It will change how we behave. You see, there are some that would say that because of the grace of Jesus Christ and that he went to the cross, that all mankind will now be saved. But that isn't what Paul is teaching here. He says, you've been saved by grace, yes, but through faith. There is a part of this for us to activate and to take hold of. It's because you believed, because your believing enabled you to enter in. Grace without faith will leave the gift sat on the shelf. It will not be entered into. A number of years ago, we lived in Nottingham. There was an exclusive restaurant called Hearts. It was not the kind of place we would eat because it was a little bit out of our price range. But somebody once offered to pay for us to go and eat there. Now, the thing was that he didn't give us a voucher. He didn't pay. He just said, I'll sort it out. So... We were kind of left thinking, oh, well, that's, that's lovely. That's a lovely gift. And then what do you do? Do you just phone the restaurant? Well, that's what we did. We, we phoned the restaurant. We booked a table. We arranged a babysitter. We got dressed up. We went out. But we didn't have anything in our hand to show that it was paid for. We trusted the words of our friend that said that it would be paid for. He was going to sort it out. We went there. We took the menu. We ordered, if you like, by faith. We had to trust that it was sorted, (laughs) saw the prices. It was indeed by faith. (laughs) The meal came, it was good. The pudding was even better. (laughs) It wasn't meringue, thank you. I feel this isn't the last of this story. I'm gonna hear more of this, aren't I? But we ordered, we ate, we came to the end of the meal. It was a lovely meal, but all the time slightly thinking, I hope I've got this right. I hope our friend was right. I hope we can trust his word because we'd had to act on what he had said to us. And at the end, the waiter came and he said, Mr. Story, your bill has been sorted. You have nothing to pay. Yes, that's good news. The bill has been sorted. You have nothing to pay. This is a picture of what Christ has done for us. He's gone ahead and sorted something out. We may not have anything in our hand to show for it, but actually it should change what we do. It should mean we go after some things. It means we should book some things, arrange some things, step into some things, eat some things, take hold of some things because someone has gone ahead and sorted it out. And we don't have a piece of paper in our hand, but we have the words of our friend, the words of eternity, which never, ever fail. But we've been saved by grace through faith. 
Grace pays the bill. The cost is borne by someone else, but faith is required for us to step in. Faith is required for us to partake. If we'd not had faith, we would have stayed at home that evening. Just said, thanks. Thanks for your kind gift. Until I've got something to show for it in my hand, I couldn't possibly go. We would have missed it. Faith is required to believe the gift is real and to partake of it. Kingdom living, salvation that God has opened up for us and made available to us. It's not just a one-off event. It's not a box that needs to be ticked to make sure we get admission to heaven when our days are done or when Christ returns. It is a new way of living, a brand new life in Christ. Kingdom living where Christ is Lord. A life to enter into, grace to receive, a different way to live, but we enter in by faith. We access it by faith to take hold of what has been paid for. Kingdom living is accessed by faith. Thirdly, this morning, kingdom living is an exhibition of God's grace and kindness. Paul explains that this isn't all about us and what we get to have. He says here, we are God's handiwork. For we are God's handiwork, he says. Workmanship, as some translation put it. He's reminding the believers that God did this so that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace to others. He says, it's by grace you've been saved. Through faith, it's not from ourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works that no one should boast, for we are God's handiwork. And the word handiwork here is really important. The Greek word is only used one other place in the New Testament. And the place where it's used is in Romans 1, verse 20, where Paul is talking to some other people in another place, but he's also talking about God making something so that he can show people what he's like. In Romans 1, 20, he uses the word handiwork when he's talking about everybody being able to see something of God's invisible qualities by what he's made, by his handiwork. In that instance, he's talking about creation, But here in Ephesians, he's using the same word to convey the same idea, that we are his handiwork. Those made new, new creations brought from that valley up to a mountaintop so that something of God's invisible qualities, i.e. here his grace, his mercy, his kindness to mankind, might be put on display so that others can see it and so that others can understand it. This means you and me can showcase God's grace and glory, his mercy, his kindness. We've not just been saved for ourselves, for our own benefit, but that we would display something of the merciful God, a tangible sight of his goodness and his mercy. You know, every time the devil sees me and you seated next to Christ in heaven, he is reminded that God is infinitely merciful. He is reminded that God is gracious. He is reminded that God is kind because how else could we ever be there? There is no other way. It stands as a testimony in the heavenly realms of what God can do and what he is like and how much his grace and mercy and kindness can achieve. And you know when there's people around us who watch our lives and people do watch your life, they may not tell you they're watching your life, but they're watching your life. When they see that you've accepted that Christ died for you, when they know that he has rescued you from the place you were in 
and brought you and accepted you, then they also get shown something of God's kindness. They get to see that he is a merciful God, that he is a kind God. We are an exhibition of God's kindness. It's why we love to hear people's stories and testimonies, isn't it? Because they display something of God. There were two incredible rappers here last week, Vital Signs as part of the Higher Tour launch. Gifted rappers with powerful, relevant message, taking it out to engage with young people in a way they can understand, telling them about the hope, the hope of Christ. But these guys were from broken pasts. One of them was an addict, involved in gang culture, stuck in a place he couldn't get out of until Jesus rescued him made him alive in Christ, made him new, set him apart for kingdom living. And you know, all of heaven and those of us who look on earth, we see the wonder of God's grace and mercy and kindness as we see him there, standing, brought out of that place. God can rescue from even that place. He has power to save. And as that man speaks and sings and raps and takes his message, he's God's handiwork. He's created new to be a walking, breathing, living exhibition of the goodness and greatness of God. It's what he wants for each one of us, that our lives would be filled with his grace and mercy and then would show it to others. Fourthly, this morning, kingdom living is your destiny. Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wow. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has made preparations in advance for you to be his, for you to be in Christ. You're not here by chance this morning. It's part of God's plan. It's part of destiny in your life. He planned for you to receive grace. He planned for you to be sat on his family bench. He's planned in advance for you to exhibit his grace and his mercy to the world. He's chosen you. He's prepared you to walk in this kingdom living. It's your destiny. It was planned for you. And I would go as far as to say that there are some people around your life and God has prepared for you to be part of their journey. Good works prepared in advance for you to do. Perhaps for you to be the answer in their loneliness. Perhaps for you to be the encourager in their difficult season. Perhaps for you to be one of the ones in whom they see the grace and mercy and kindness of God for the first time. Maybe he's prepared for you to be the one who prays the prayer that brings their breakthrough. Maybe for you to be the one who brings the kingdom authority of Jesus to bear in their circumstances. See, there are good works prepared in advance for us to walk in. He's gone ahead. He's prepared kingdom living for us to walk in. It's our destiny. You know, last week, we had a young girl come into church as Martin told us the story at the start. 24 hours before she came to church, she didn't believe that God existed. But out in town, she got impacted because somebody else was walking in good works that God had prepared in advance for them to do. You see, Dawn and Victoria, members of our congregation here, out with some others from other churches, had got out of their house last Saturday and gone to healing on the streets. 
faith had made them get up and out to go and access what had been made available by grace not for themselves, but for others. They knew that they are, son, they are daughters of the king, that they are seated with Christ, so they went and they acted differently and got out to go and do something different because of the faith that they have. By faith, they prayed for this young girl. They knew that some things have been made available, but it needs faith to take hold of them and bring them to bear in a situation. So by faith, they prayed. And by the grace of God, a young girl who didn't know if God existed and didn't know if God cared, was healed. She saw the grace and the kindness of God exhibited as Dawn and Victoria walked in good works, prepared in advance for them to do. They could have stayed at home last Saturday, but they didn't, because they're committed to taking hold of everything God has prepared for them. It's a challenge for us. Are we living our lives looking for those things that God has prepared in advance for us to do? It's not just for me. It's for you as well. Right at the front and right at the back. Good works prepared in advance for you to do ways to impact other lives. Not just for them to see the grace and mercy of God through your life, but good works that have been prepared for you. Kingdom living is your destiny. It's a majestic landscape that Paul presents in this chapter of where we've been brought through, but the heights that he is bringing us into. Reminding us that there are good works prepared in advance for us to do. That kingdom living is our destiny. It's what we were made for. That our lives are made to display God's goodness to others, his kindness, his grace, his mercy, to be a living, walking exhibition of how wonderful he is. He's reminding the believers we can't just go after the goal and the purpose. We can't just say, yeah, I want to be that and do that. I want to be the kind of person that does those things. It's actually you've got to attend to the foundations. If we want to be God's handiwork, we have to let him do the work in us. We have to come back to the foundations and let him begin on the inside of every one of us. We have to remember where we were and where we came from and remember what Christ has done for us and where he's brought us from. To receive by grace through faith. Be willing to take up a seat that we don't deserve. to be seated with Christ, to keep letting our lives be hidden in him, doing his will, not our own. How do we respond to this message this morning? I'm conscious you may be here and you may never have received this gift of salvation by grace. This may be the first time or maybe you've never responded before and you know you're still in a place where you deserve God's judgment. Well, it's not by chance that you're here this morning to hear this message because God has something different for you that he has made available by grace, but you need to act in faith to take hold of it this morning. And this morning, if that's you, you can receive this new life in Christ Jesus. You can give your life to him and receive a new life. Have God's judgment moved away from you as your life is hidden in Christ. And if that is you this morning, then I'm gonna ask you just now to stand up where you are. 
as an act of faith to say, yeah, I want to receive that. I want to step into that. Just stand up right where you are and then we're going to pray as we come to a close this morning. If that's you, just stand up right where you are. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're going to pray together with this young lady. I'm going to pray a prayer and ask that after I say a line that we all say it together to invite Jesus. Lord Jesus, say it all, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you have brought us out of a place of wrath into a place with you. Thank you for taking my sin. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for going to the cross for me. I give my life to you. Please come in. Fill me with your grace. Fill me with your kindness. And help me to live in you. Help me to live this kingdom life for you from now on. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Do take your seat. And now for the rest of us. I believe God wants to stir in us that there's more than we have yet walked in. There is more. There is that God wants to show others himself through you to a degree that is beyond what you've yet walked in, that his grace and mercy would be visible through your life, that you'd walk in those good works that he's prepared in advance for you. And I simply want to give an opportunity this morning that if you want to say this morning, Lord, I want to step into something more. I want another measure. I want another level of this kingdom living. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Just quickly now, there's only a moment. But to stand to your feet, if you say, actually, I don't want to stay where I am. I want to move into something else. And we're going to pray. And then we're going to sing together as we finish. So Lord Jesus, we stand before you this morning as those who know there's more for us to step into. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for your goodness, your grace and your mercy to us, undeserving as we are. And we say, will you help us to fully enter in? Help us to have faith to step out and to partake of everything that you have for us. And help us, Lord, to display your goodness to those around us and to walk in the good things that you've prepared in advance for us to do. That we would give you glory, that we would give you honor, that we would have the joy of being part of your rescue plan for the world. We give you glory, Lord. We give you honor. We give you praise. And we give you thanks. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.